Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining us, uh, she created a whole course, a whole new course, Africana Studies, Africana Legal Studies, looking at the law through the lens of Africana Studies. She is back. She is our legal expert here. And I want to talk about this with the great Professor Angie Porter. Hi, welcome back. Oh. Thanks for having me back. Too kind, too kind. Not Lord. true, true. Good to be here with you. Okay. Listen, I mean, Hands you cre- <laughs> thank you, and and you created a framework uh, because all of our laws, you know. So Justice Jackson was responding to Samuel Alito, who basically we should be looking at these through race neutral racial blindness. And she was like, and and Sotomayor, Justice Sotomayor was like, mm, he just gave away the game. He just he just mm. gave away the game when he said that. So tell us, walk us through our laws because we're a nation of laws, Professor Porter. <laughs> we are a nation of laws. But I want to start with what you said, Karen, if you don't mind, because that is that is when they when it gets dirty, when people use this language of neutrality, that there could even possibly be a race neutral anything in this country is completely farcical. I mean, there are there is no one center. There is no one objective center. There are only multiple centers. And so when they reference this race neutral map, and I'll get to what the controversy is in a second, but at the center lies a redistricting map. When they kept saying that there's a race neutral map, it makes no sense. There's no race neutrality. Also that map, I mean, that map was straight discriminatory. It was straight racist, but there is no neutrality. This is how whiteness hides in the law and in other aspects of this country's culture. It hides behind this myth of objectivity when it has an agenda and its agenda is about race. It's about racial dominance and maintaining racial, read white power in this country. So when someone says white lives matter, it is equally Mm -hmm. offensive because that's all that has mattered since the inception of this country. So to to say that it's doubly, yeah, you're now layering another layer of the invisible, the the silent whiteness that's there. Uh, Dr. Greg Carr, who you talk to every week on In Class with Carr, he teaches a lot about this in his classes, this invisibility of whiteness in language. And he's riffing on uh, Clyde Taylor, but saying essentially that Whiteness gets to hide. There's, there's, there's only Santa Claus. It's not white Santa Claus. There's only Jesus. There's not white Jesus. The white is implied. I think one of the, one of the Congress. What was that? Lindsey Graham or who was it? Who said Americans and black and black people. There's Americans and there's black people. Well, Americans means white Americans. So the the whole idea of whiteness gets to hide, including in phrases like neutrality, race neutral maps what they're really saying is this is the map that benefits white voters. So it's not racist. All right. 866-801-8255. There is a, the Supreme court uh, started hearing cases. Uh, This controversy, I don't think it's controversial at all, came about because of this gerrymandering case. Is it North Carolina? This is Alabama. 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 Break Mm -hmm. down this, this case that made it to the Supreme Court. And, and and those of you who are listening, you know, Ketanji Brown Jackson doesn't have the numbers, 
but she has the the moral authority. I feel like, you yeah. know, th- this case is probably going to be decided against anything that's just, you know, justified or sane. <laughs> but, you know, what she laid out, I think was super important. But tell us about this case and why should we care? Yeah. So the at issue in this case, there are two levels, two things at issue. One is this, this uh, the redistricting scheme of Alabama and therefore the voter power, the power of black voters in Alabama is at issue. On the second layer is the Voting Rights Act is at issue. The Voting Act, Rights Act of 1965, which is an enforcing congressional law that enforces the 15th Amendment. So the reason Justice Jackson is talking about the Reconstruction era is because the Voting Rights Act is enabled by the 15th Amendment, which prohibits uh, uh, the denial of the right to vote to anyone based on race and and based on prior condition of servitude. So we know who we're talking about. (laughs) It's Black Americans. So every 10 years, there's a census. After the census, states redraw their maps because, you know, civics lesson, quick civics lesson, one of the houses of Congress and also usually one of the chambers of state um, Congress or state state congressional uh, houses, one of those chambers is based on population. So after every census, we have to redraw maps in the states. Who gets to redraw the maps? The legislature, ironically. (laughs) So. The legislature in Alabama in 2021 after the 2020 census, and remember how fraught the 2020 census was. They were trying to get people to not participate. Yeah, it was a mess. It was a huge mess, but it happened. We got there. Alabama's redrawing its maps. Normal thing. Not normal. Problematic thing is they drew a map that looked just like all the maps before. (laughs) And this map has one district of seven that has a majority black population. Problem, Alabama has a population that is about 30% black. So they get in one of seven districts. They pushed all black, all the black people <laughs> into one district. Yeah, one of seven. And so looking at this new map, some voters in the state and then the uh, state conference of the NAACP got together and sued and said, hey, this map, violates the Voting Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination in voting practices. So they're like, we need at least, we need two districts. We need two of the seven districts to be majority black so that black voters actually have some power according to their population in this state. The federal judges who heard that case, so every state has federal courts and it's a federal law we're talking about, the VRA, so it goes to federal court. There's a panel of three judges to decide this case. And they looked at it like, hey, this is open and shut. This is an easy case because we know the VRA and what it requires. We're looking at Alabama's map. It looks discriminatory. Fun fact, two of those three judges were Trump appointees. So even the Trump judges said, it's an easy case. (laughs) Racist map. They ordered the Alabama legislature to redraw the map. You have two weeks, Alabama, redraw the map, make it make sense racially, because right now it's discriminatory. Well, Alabama, 
And this, this case is called uh, Merrill versus Milligan. John Merrill is the uh, state attorney general for Alabama. So Alabama cried foul. They went to the Supreme Court. John Merrill and them went to the Supreme Court on the shadow docket, which is the emergency docket of the Supreme Court, and said, hey, they're trying to tell us we need to draw a new map. We don't want to. And so the Supreme Court, this was back in February. I think you and I might've even talked about this, Karen, but <laughs> the Supreme Court said, uh, we'll decide the ultimate issues later, but for now, stick with the original map, the original racist map. <laughs> Stick with the original map and we'll hear it later. And so now here we are in act October and the court is hearing it. Now, a layer of damage has already been done because they stuck with the original racist map for the primaries. And this decision is not gonna come out until after the election, the general wow. election. So the 2022 election in Alabama is using a racist map. And so, one level of victory for Alabama has already arrived. Now the question is, what will this decision do to the VRA, which the Supreme Court has already been hostile to, uh, has already gutted in many ways, if you've heard of the case called Shelby County versus Holder that happened in 2013. I'm happy to talk about any of that, but I'll stop for now. Uh, that's just the overview of the case and where we are. And this is why we had oral argument yesterday. Roll Tide, Tyler, Roll Tide. And you know what? I knew you were about <laughs> to just, I knew, see, I knew that was coming. But you know, hey, I almost said when you were about to go into Alabama and go in the Supreme Court, I was like, Alabama is about to Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, no one, no one's surprised by this. No one's surprised by this, including the justices. I mean, if you got a chance to listen to some more of that argument, Sotomayor, Kagan, Jackson, they were all nonplussed. They were like, we know what's going on in Alabama. There have been several what are called amicus briefs filed in this case. That's where interested parties who are not actually in the lawsuit get to write briefs and talk about what's at stake. Many briefs have come in and, and said the reality that you just said, Tyler, which is Alabama has been racist from jump and is still racist. One of the briefs, one of the favorite briefs of mine that I read was uh, written by UW Clemen, a, a black federal judge in Alabama, and Fred Gray, a legendary civil rights attorney. Um, and they explained that in recent years, Alabama legislators, white legislators, referred to the black voting population as aborigines in Alabama. Mm. So these are recent events. And they talked about how it's a hostile environment for black representatives in the Alabama State House. So they know the reality on the ground. Here's the real insidious part of this case which is they're trying to change the way the court looks at the VRA. So the court could do a couple things with its supermajority of conservative justices. They could outright get rid of the Voting Rights Act, but they have they've uh, wisened up, especially after the Dobbs decision and Chief Justice Roberts' style is to stab you uh, without you seeing the knife. Mm. So they will likely not outright 
get rid of the Voting Rights Act, they will probably make it ineffective. They'll disable it. And people won't even know unless they follow this case. And one way they can disable it is by listening to the arguments that were presented yesterday by the state of Alabama. State of Alabama said they're trying to raise the hurdle for people who challenge voting maps. Historically, uh, they used to say you had to prove discriminatory intent to show that a map was illegal or violated the VRA. Uh, the Supreme Court said that in the in the 80s. And Congress said, no, 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 you are interpreting this act wrong. We are not going to require people to prove discriminatory intent, which is really hard to prove because racism acts in disguise. People don't just outright say things. They are slick with it. So proving discriminatory intent is too high a burden. Congress said, no, they need to just show discriminatory results, discriminatory effect i.e. they need to show the reality on the ground is black voters don't have power and that's easier to show it's still a, a big burden but it's easier so anyway um they're trying to go backwards and raise the requirement and that will really hurt the vra uh angie marissa is it angie marissa a-n-g-i <laughs> marissa on the twitters because uh, I guess you couldn't get Angie Porter. She is a professor <laughs> of law. She's teaching torts this semester, next semester. Africana. What's what's the what's the course Africana you're teaching? Legal studies. Africana, Africana legal studies. Mm-hmm. What school? Because I know you were at American. Where are you? Yeah, I'm at American. At American. Yeah, American University, Washington College of Law. Okay, so Angie, we, Angie, let me let me just say, Angie, that I need you to explain everything about life from here on out for the rest of my life. I'm talking everything. I want you to read the ingredients on a cereal box for me. If someone comes to me and preaches a sermon, I want to go, Angie, can you tell me about this, please? Because you obviously have a way of breaking down things that um, can be complicated for some in a language in which we can understand. And I think that's highly important when it comes to how do we actually take action to some of the things that we're seeing in the world. Thank you so much, Tyler. That is so No, I really appreciate that. And I'm glad it's coming across. That's why more people, not more people, because nobody like you. People like you should teach. People like Dr. Carr, who who was your professor at law school in in Howard, you know, people who have command of people and language should teach and have knowledge. Okay, first of all, because you got the knowledge, too. I agree. Cosign, cosign, cosign. I I actually, you know, people like you should have on more. I would love to. She's teaching full time and out there (laughs) in the streets getting y'all's babies together around this law thing. And we need more Angie Porter, Dr. Gray Carr trained lawyers so that when they go to the Supreme Court like Ataji Brown Jackson, they got all of the smoke and work for these people because they're <laughs> out there obfuscating truth and trying to misinform and gaslighting. And she's like, no, no race is built into this thing. There's no 13, 14, 15th Amendment absence of race. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think something that's really important too that I think we have to acknowledge is with the absence of Katanji, where are we? That conversation would not have been had the way in which it was had yesterday without the presence of individuals who are not fighting from a distant place of going, oh, I think this kind of matters, 
But you could tell by the way that she was talking that it matters to her. Absolutely. So I agree with that 100%. I, but also I, I want to add a shout out to Justice Sotomayor because she is also right in there. Mm-hmm. She, mm-hmm. And she was there before. And so I don't know what, if that has anything to do with her identity. You know, it's a little African, a little African uh, in there. A lot of African <laughs> in that. She's from Puerto Rico, yeah. Bron- from Puerto the Bronx. Rico. Yeah, yeah she, she knows who she is. She knows the deal. And it shows in her questioning for sure. So now it's, now we have the two of them and that is more than ever before. So why is Kagan so silent? Kagan actually spoke up a lot. You know, Kagan clerked for Justice Thurgood Marshall. So Kagan know a little something too. And I think in this case, she she was right out the gate. I think she was one of the early questioners and she was just bombarding them. So Kagan was in there. She did her part. Okay. And right. you know, we should pat her on the back. All right. <laughs> I, I feel like she'd be, she be real silent. All right. Action items. You're in Alabama. People and, and a lot of people in Alabama, Alabama is an amazing state. You know, Tyler loves Alabama. I love the people who live in Alabama who since reconstruction ended, stayed, yeah. stayed because a lot of folk left. They ended up in St. Louis. They ended up in Chicago. They ended up in, you know, places north Detroit to, to find a better life. But the people that stayed should be given a, you know, a warm hug because don't give up that land. Don't give up, you know, don't give up anything. But now we need our rights. So yeah. empower us, Angie, uh, prof- excuse me, Professor Porter. Pro- you call me Angie? I know I can. I know I can, but the people need to call you Professor. Okay, oh. Professor Porter, <laughs> empower the people in Alabama right now. What can they do? There are a lot of people being on the ballot. I'm looking, Kate Ivey's ass. I'm like, how? Come on, y'all. <laughs> well, uh, my grandmother's from Alabama, so it's it's near and dear to my heart. My uh, great aunts and uncles are from there. My great grandparents, a lot of ancestors from there. Um, but what can people in Alabama do? Well, this is a question for uh, for them and also for the rest of us because this case, like I said, has those multiple layers. But I think one of the biggest things is in the discourse. You know, a lot of us are on social media. A lot of us are talking to one another. We're talking to our families. We're talking to young people in community. You know, reject this notion outright that race neutral anything is good. And reject this notion that throwing history to the wind is in any way permissible. I mean, that has to be a main thrust in our conversations because it's so absurd. How can you address racism without talking about race? You can't. So we have to make that plain in our day-to-day conversations because we are in this sort of culture war. It's on social media, it's on YouTube, it's in the shows people are watching. You know, the fact that that's even a question should not be tolerated. Um, And in order for us to really make that statement confidently and clearly, we have to continue studying history. So if you're in Alabama or in any of these states where they're suppressing discourse around history, that's going to be harder. And so connecting with folks around the country and around the world is absolutely critical so that you can access your own history. So you know what they're doing. You see the knife they're trying to stick in us as before it's happening and certainly as it's happening. So that will help in these conversations. 
know this case, study this case. The parties to this case represent organizations in Alabama and organizations that have sister organizations around the country. So if you're feeling helpless and looking for what to do, you can look at this case, in fact, and see based on who's involved, hey, I wanna, I wanna help them. I wanna be involved in that to make sure this doesn't happen again or get any worse. And then for all of us around the country, Black people, we have to vote. We really have to vote. They may be diluting the vote in certain places. They absolutely are. But in the places where that's not happening, if they're going to dilute the vote, we need to supercharge our vote and make sure that we maintain some say in these state legislatures because they have a lot of power. If there's no other takeaway from this case that you take with you, it's that the state legislatures have tremendous power, even for the federal election. Mm. So if they made you think that the only election that counts is the federal election, that is a lie. And it's an insidious lie. And it's meant to maintain white dominance in this country. There are a couple other cases coming up that have uh, more to do with that. And maybe we'll talk again about so. those cases. Uh, we have the affirmative action cases coming up too. That argument is on Halloween. So <laughs> let's just- They be... are, they're crafty. <laughs> you know, let's... as you're- Yes. yes. Yeah. Professor Porter, uh, Tyler Meredith is here, of course, as well. You know, as you were talking about gerrymandering, it really only matters for the local elections, right? I mean, because statewide elections, the governor's race, it's about the total numbers. This, The Senate, the same thing. They're not sending people to the Senate based on districts, right? So the redistricting, it, 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 it tells you how important the local elections are because the, the map is really about the state legislation. Well, actually, actually, Karen, I'm going to tweak that a little bit. So yes, those maps are about the state elections. The state legislature draws the state districting maps for congressional elections, U.S. Congress. For the state, rep for the representatives. That go, yeah, for the House. For the House, for the okay. House. Okay, so this is nasty. Okay, so it doesn't yeah. affect the Senate. It doesn't affect the governor. It no. affects the con congressional members. So that means there's only going to be one black representative for the entire yeah. state for the U.S. Yeah. House of Representatives. You got it. Oh my God. You got okay. it. Okay. Thank you. Mm. So this is so important. This is so important. Okay. But it won't impact this. It's too late, right? For now. It's too late for Alabama for now. But what could happen, and actually the, the uh, Solicitor General made an argument yesterday, and that she represents the Biden administration, essentially. Um, they talk about what could happen if this case goes wrong, and it has national implications. Because if they tamper with the way we look at the VRA, and they make it harder for people to challenge these maps that state legislatures make that draw districts for congressional elections, House of Representatives, um, that means other states, and you know which states I'm talking about, they will use that as their cue. That will be their because it's a precedence now. Call. Yep, the Supreme Court creates precedent that applies to all the states, so they will take that as their cue to get rid of majority minority districts, majority black or other minority districts, without any 
explanation and they can hide behind anything they want to and not be challenged because they will require a higher burden of showing discriminatory intent. And folk know how to get around that. They would just secretively change these districts and point to some pretext, some excuse that people can't prove otherwise. And that will, that's what will happen. So this has potential dire consequences for other locales. Let me, can I, can I, I want to take all of this for a second and put it into a tangible, breathable, touchable thing for listeners. Now, in my book, I, I talk about Alabama a lot because my mother and father are from Utah, Alabama, E-U-T-A-W, and I love putting them on the map, right? Um, but this is what I know about Utah. When I drive to go and visit them, I take I go off a little bit a little bit of exit into what I call a little tiny black town. My mom now owns the country store there that was always owned by white people. Uh, my mom now owns through my mom and dad own three houses in that little community, so she's giving back. But these are individuals in this town that their everyday life is is just surviving. Their everyday life is doing the normal things that they do. And here's the reality, as much as all the words that we're using right now on the actual ground, and I'm not saying in all of Alabama, but in this tiny black town of Utah, Alabama, these incredible black people for years and years and years are living their lives and surviving and living the way in which they um, were raised and grown and birthed. But what they aren't doing is they aren't taking into consideration that while they are living, struggling, succeeding, there are individuals that are actually working against them in real time, that are doing the actual work to draw lines of separation so that their vote matters less in places. And these aren't things that are at the front of their mind because they have now just been in the, in the rat wheel of just trying to, to live their life every day. But I think what it's important, especially for listeners to hear is that as you are walking through your everyday life, just trying to exist, know that there are individuals that are hard at work mm -hmm. to try to make your everyday life count less. Mm -hmm. So it means something. It makes a difference for you to stop where you are for a second, to look around, look at your children growing up, look at your parents above you and say, what can I do in this moment to make a difference? And this is where, Professor Porter, your words matter so much. You're just not just speaking on a broad thing of like, let me educate you. You are saying it's important that you know this in your everyday life so that you can get out of that rat race and take some actual action, though it may be difficult. It's necessary. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And those, I mean, we have to work as a collective. We, some of us are fortunate not to have to struggle just to survive every day, like the folks you're talking about in Alabama. I mean, my grandmother's from Demopolis, Alabama, which is mm -hmm. a, a tiny town in that Black Belt region. Um, we have to be the ones, if we have that time and energy to pay attention and to understand what's going on, you know, each election, you we, we got connections. We're all but one, two people away from this. Mm -hmm. So you could call your grandmother and say, hey, are you voting? Uh, what, what do you need? Call your cousin. 
let them know. They might have obligations and day-to-day -day things. Just send that message. I mean, we have to work as a collective here. Mm. Um, it's incumbent upon us, in fact, to do that. We have a responsibility to do that for our people. On that, um, and I agree with both of you, Angie Porter is here, uh, Professor Angie Porter, American U. She's the first person in the entire country to teach a class, a law class centered in Africana studies. Never happened before. She created a course and she's teaching it in the spring. Tyler Merritt, author of I Take My Coffee Black last week. And I've been floating this idea of, of a great migration with purpose, right? But I don't know who would organize it. Back in the day, it would be like the Urban League and the NAACP would get together. They would have busloads of people. They would train folk to go into neighborhoods, kind of reverse redlining, go in with purpose. Like if there were organizations that mattered today that did more than have dinners and, and award shows and things, we would be able to mount a campaign in Alabama to move black folk purposefully into districts, maybe people who are underserved, people who who don't have a lot of resources, give them the resources, buy up homes, rent apartments in places where they have, uh, you know, written us out on the map and move like thousands at a time in these pockets. Look at that map that they drew up and then reverse it on them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we don't have the organizational mechanism today or the will. Maybe they've been anesthetized with the dollars. I don't know if the dollars have put them in a state of, you know, uh, inaction or atrophy, maybe because they haven't used those muscles in 50 years. Mm -hmm. But we need a, an organizing force to look at even states, M North and South Dakota, where there's less than a million people, Wyoming, Montana, less than a million people, take a million people from California that are unhoused. Let's move them in strategically into districts elect people who are going to serve people and they get two senators, right? All these states with less than a million people. There are a million people unhoused in California, New York. Let's go. Why should people be without when there are resources there that my state sends to these places, right? Alabama, mm -hmm. Mississippi, Louisiana, let's go. Kentucky, let's go and start to look at these maps that they're forcing on us and revert. This is what they do, right? They have legislation that they hand to their people they, this is a drumbeat, right? They, they said Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned. What did they do? Lower cases in, in these lower, and they knew which ones were going to make it to the Supreme Court, and they were doing this, doing this, doing this with a, with a very specific purpose. We yeah. need to move with a very specific purpose, Angie Porter. I do agree with that. I mean, the movements that have been going on to make sure that we turn the clock back have been active and pointed and resourced. So as it goes back to Tyler's point, there are people working and they are working hard. Uh, you know, I, I, we all come at them. We all, you know, come for them and clap back at them. But one thing you can say about them is that they're not organized and intentional because that is what they've been doing. And so I think you're absolutely right. I would say, you know, we're focusing on Alabama too, and we should, but one of the insidious key aspects of this case is that it happened um, kind of under a lot of people's notice. So what's to prevent something similar from happening where all of us live, where each of us live? We probably should go look at our situation in our states, look at our state legislature and see what they're up to. Um, that's the level of engagement we need to have at the minimum. But what we really need to get to is what you're saying, Karen. And, uh, well, I, I think it's interesting, too, because I, I feel like some people might hear what Karen is saying and go, 
that's crazy. That's a lot of work. That takes a lot. That's insane. But the truth of the matter is the reality is, and this is even exhausting to say this, but it's true. And this is what we're kind of saying. Republicans have not been working um, with, with big kitchen scissors. Republicans have been working with scalpels and precision. <laughs> Follow me? And then what Republicans do a fantastic job of doing is getting everybody on board at once. What we like to do, well, I don't want to say we, but what oftentimes happens outside of the Republican Party is you have everybody kind of going over here, going maybe this, maybe this, or maybe that idea feels too strong, this side or the other, while you have Republicans who are working with a scalpel. So when it comes time to really address Roe versus Wade, they have been doing the years and years and years and years of work to make that puzzle piece fit. So mm. when you, Karen, say, we need to be strategic about here and that, and I can hear listeners going, yeah, but that's a lot. Move people here, this, that, and the other. No, we, we have, there's a party that is, that, that, that is the, the work that's taking place now and has been. Yeah, we need a strong sense of uh, identity and unity for that. And I think you're absolutely right, Tyler. A lot of a lot of what has happened in recent years has splintered everyone off into their very specific way of being and specific identity. Um, and now that there's this growing force against all of us, I think it hopefully will be a little easier for people to set that aside for a little bit and think about how we can together work as a collective to get this knife out of our back mm. at this point is, is survival and if you if you're not paying attention you're not going to see how severe it is you're not going to see the gravity of the situation so that's one big part of my thought to say hey study what's going on and pay attention once you realize how bad this can be and how quickly mm. then maybe you'll have a sense of urgency and a sense of, I need to unify with my people and others to form the coalition that's needed to do something of the scale that Karen is talking about. But we, you know, we gotta stop playing around and also mm. stop being distracted because yes. distraction is another mechanism used by folks on this side trying to retain dominance. Which is why White Lives Matter happening close to an election cycle can't be ignored, but also has to be put into that framework of what this is a tactic, right? This is another tactic. And it's not about whether we love Kanye or hate Kanye, but you have to see that as dangerous in a time when we need to, as you said, Professor Porter, come together. Absolutely. They got they got y'all over here talking about Kanye and they're taking your vote. <laughs> they're diluting your vote. And once they do that, they get to do all the other things that you care yep. about. So, you know, people might think voting, voting is a very abstract idea. It this this law stuff, this voting stuff, it permeates all facets of life. So it has to be taken seriously. And if not understanding it is a hurdle to paying attention to it, that's why we're having this conversation. It's so like we can understand. 
I've been saying amen a lot with you talking. Uh, Let's take Jared Mm -hmm. really quickly in Florida. Jared, you're on. Professor Angie Porter is here. Tyler Perry is here. Tyler Perry. Tyler Merritt. His money. I want I want Tyler Merritt to have Tyler Perry money because I think he would do sure. amazing things. Welcome, <laughs> hey Jerry. Hey, uh, hey, how, how y'all doing? Much respect to all of you guys. I have a question in reference to redistricting, and I guess I can I can make it a short question by asking it like this: Can this work in a positive way? In, in let's say like integration. Okay, you're taking a small chunk of a black district and you're putting it in a larger chunk of a of a predominantly white district. Those that chunk of, of the black district still has concerns, they still have needs, they still got a vote and there's people that are running for office in that district that they're now in that need to be voted for. So they're gonna have to compete for that chunk of the black vote. And that they're going to need staffers that come out of that chunk of the black vote. Whoever's running for office, they're going to need people to work for them that come out of that that uh, that chunk. And and therefore, they'll have a an ear. They'll have someone in their ear from that community telling them what that community needs and what they want. And and you know, you understand my question. I mean, is there yeah. a positive side to this? Yeah. So in theory. There could be based on what you just said. I mean, I think that that theory checks out. What the reality is, however, is that these voting, these redistricting maps are drawn in such a sophisticated manner, and there is discriminatory intent there. It's not provable, but it's there. So it's very sophisticated, and they ensure that when they crack these black areas, the black belt in Alabama, they are dividing that area up in such a way that the black vote, if it voted all one way, if it were a solid block in those districts, it would not have sway because it does not represent enough of a percentage of the population in that district. So the candidates actually, in fact, do not have to pay attention to those black citizens wow. in those districts because they represent such a minuscule percentage of the population. And that in and of itself, that is gerrymandering. That's the goal. So they can move their water source without, I mean, because you think about Flint, which is predominantly black, but was represented by represented by majority of people that did not look like the people that lived in Flint. Uh, you t- think about where um, Mike Brown was killed. Their legislation, because only 16% of the people showed up to vote, predominantly Republican, predominantly white, a, yeah. a black area yeah. in yeah. Ferguson, I mean- what you're raising, it goes right in, like I said, permeates all issues. This goes to environmental justice issues. This goes to decisions in your mm-hmm. in your district, down to the locality, down to the municipality of where we put the landfill, where we put the oil refinery, where we develop developments. I mean, the way that we live, how far I have to travel to the grocery store, how many trees are in my neighborhood, which correlates directly with mental health. All of that is decided by city council people. I mean, this is all government decision-making. And if we are in districts where we don't represent even a persuasive minority percentage, those decisions continue to get made with, I mean, complete disregard to how black people and brown people 
feel about the decision. And let me just say, this is worse than reconstru- reconstruction. This is worse than reconstruction. This is worse than after reconstruction when we at least were able to build Rosewoods and Greenwoods and, and have control and autonomy over our own communities, even though, you know, Black Joy brought white terror in summer 1919. But in those areas, in those pockets of Wilmington, North Carolina, in those pockets in this country, many cities in North Carolina where we had ownership and control, they we thrived, right? I love what you just said because history is like, repeating it's like a spiral and so post reconstruction i mean guess what a reconstruction amendment was the 15th amendment and so the the civil rights movement of the 1960s which culminates in voting rights act being one of the achievements that is sort of like a second reconstruction and since then they've been trying to end that so we are in that period of time which uh, some scholars call the nadir after reconstruction when things are just bad. Mm. And what it's gonna take is what you just said, Karen, thinking about those strong black institutions in the early 20th century, those uh, those clubs, those you know businesses. We had to go into ourselves as a collective and build without being able to rely on the government to help us because they refused. They withdrew, literally withdrew federal troops and refused. And so that's a moment we're in again. It's a parallel moment. Well, I am. I'm glad that you're here with us and part of this family. And I appreciate you, you know, taking some time out of your teaching to come through. Uh, Professor Angie Porter, if you have children at American, you make them take her class. Uh, She teaches law there and Africana studies framework through which she's going to be teaching it in the spring is revolutionary. Thank you so much. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.